Hey everybody, welcome to Swerve Church. So glad that you made it to join us today for worship and for uh, our study of scripture. We are in a series called At The Movies. We're having a lot of fun. First, I just wanted to say thank you to everybody that came out to our first ever in-person worship gathering since March. We had a great time at Hope Park, able to get together. We had beautiful weather. It was a beautiful morning. Uh, we had, you know, we had some danishes, we had some snacks, and we had uh, even some frappuccinos, some coffee that we can enjoy together. Thank you to everybody that came out. We had an awesome time. Be on the lookout for the next in-person worship gathering that will be coming very soon. I'm so glad everybody was able to come out. Now, we have one more week left of At The Movies. I hope you guys have been enjoying the series as much as I have. It's a fun series where we look at uh, some of Blockbuster's greatest hits. We look at some, some movies, some newer, some older, some trailers, and we try to pull out some scriptural truths from these movies. We've been having a great time with this uh, today. we got one more week left, so be on the lookout for that next Sunday as we wrap up our series at the movies. Today's movie is Aladdin. Have you guys seen the new version of Aladdin? If you have, let me know in the comments. Here's today's question, and that is, which version of Aladdin did you like the most? Did you like the original version, the cartoon version, or did you like this version, the new version? I know this is going to spark a lot of controversy in the chat, but go ahead and let me know. Which version of Aladdin did you like the most? I know it's always difficult to beat the original, but let me know in the comments which one did you enjoy. This movie, in case you haven't seen it or you've been living under a rock for the past 30 years or so, let me tell you a little bit about it. It's all about the love story between an orphaned young man uh, just trying to get by on the streets of Agrabah, uh, just trying to get by, trying to make ends meet, trying to survive, and who meets uh, an adventure-seeking princess who's been stuck in her palace and desires to get out the four walls of the palace to explore. And it's the love story of these two individuals. Aladdin comes across a magical lamp that has a genie. And this genie is willing to grant him any, three wishes, anything that he wants at all, anything in life that he can possibly ever want. And what he wants is that Jasmine princess. And so he decides uh, the way he's going to get it is by utilizing uh, his wishes uh, to get everything that money can buy. Because how do you win over a princess? Uh, it's by putting up uh, this facade of somebody who has a lot of money, somebody who comes from a, uh, a wealthy kingdom. That's exactly what he does. He believes that he's able to put on uh, the appearance of wealth and of status, then he can get Jasmine's heart and he can woo her into falling in love with him, with this false uh, person that he's trying to put, uh, according to uh, granting these wishes and getting money and getting riches. Uh, in fact, there's even this huge elaborate scene in the movie, you guys may have seen it, where he enters uh, the kingdom of Agrabah. He enters the kingdom. He comes in with all these animals. He comes in with a huge entourage and all this fancy food and dancing and singing, and he comes bearing gifts. You guys may have seen uh, that scene, all these lavish gifts in order to impress the king and, of course, Jasmine. You know, it made me think, how often do we fall into the trap of seeking after everything that our greedy hearts desires? So often, we, too, fall into that same trap, just like Aladdin. Uh, the only thing is that we're not lucky enough to have found a magical lamp and genie, right? To get what we want. So here's what we're going to do today. We are going to talk about money and we're going to talk about our hearts. Do you think the Bible has anything to say about this? It absolutely does. In fact, if you're taking notes today, our big idea is this. 
And that is that money and things are temporary, but riches in heaven are eternal. Money and things are temporary, but riches in heaven are eternal. You know, the overarching teaching in scriptures is that money and things are not bad in and of themselves, but they're not forever. Uh, money and things and wealth and prominence on this side of heaven don't last forever. And they're not inherently bad, but they're just not around for all eternity. They're temporary. And constantly throughout scripture, we're being reminded to draw our affections away from material things and away from the things that draw us away from God and to be drawn more towards an eternal thinking to be drawn more into thinking of heavenly things, of thinking of what happens once this life is over. And we actually hinted at this when we did the movie Soul. We spoke about this. We spoke about being heavenly minded. We spoke about being eternally minded, about investing in things that are eternal. But so often we get caught up on focusing, on desiring, on pursuing things that simply do not last and things that we cannot take into eternity with us. How often that's what's on our mind, that's what's in our news feeds, that's what's on our hearts, to pursue things, to the, the desire of wanting more things, of, 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 of gaining riches, right? of building up our savings account. And it takes our mind off of focusing on things that are eternal. You know, while I was preparing this message, I was thinking about Chadwick Boseman, who lost his life uh, just recently, this past week. He was an amazing actor who played such important roles and prominent roles in uh, some of our favorite movies that we really enjoy. Uh, 21 Bridges and Black Panther and, and Jackie Robinson. He played Jackie Robinson in the movie 42. Such prominent roles, an amazing and a gifted actor who probably had more money than you or I will ever uh, obtain this side of heaven. Perhaps a millionaire, wealth, acknowledgement, very talented at everything going for himself, right? And what happened? Unfortunately, uh, he lost his life uh, to cancer. That's what happened to him. He tragically lost his life. And the question I think to myself is, what about the millions? What about the houses? What about the fame? Where does that go? It doesn't go with him. It doesn't travel with him. It stays here on earth. And his soul goes into eternity. So what does the Bible teach? What does the Bible teach about money and about eternity and about, you know, being heavenly minded and these things? What does the Bible say about it? There's a lot, probably more than we can cram into this one message. But for today's, uh, for today's discussion, we have three points that we're going to look at. And here's number one. That is that our hearts are deceitful and we must be on guard. What does the Bible teach? It teaches that our hearts are deceitful and we must be on guard. And we see this directly from Scripture, in fact, from Jesus' very own words. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus says this, Watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. What are you talking about, Jesus? Isn't that what life is all about? Isn't life all about the abundance of possessions and obtaining more and getting more money? Not according to Jesus. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus uses the words that we need to be on guard? Why does Jesus say that? 
Why does he say that when it comes to, uh, you know, obtaining more in life, desiring more, the abundance of possessions, seeking out more, why does he say that we need to be on guard against all greed? Why does he say that? It's an interesting choice of words and an amazing word picture that Jesus gives here. I think we need to be on guard because greed will sneak up on you and will fester in your heart because our hearts are deceitful. It's what the Bible says, that our hearts are deceitful above all things. And so the truth of the matter is, is that if we're not on guard, then greed will sneak up behind you like a, like a prowling lion, like a cat will kind of sneak up on you and snatch your heart. Greed will come. That's why we need to be on guard. When I hear the words be on guard, I think about the increase in crime. In this day and age that we're living in, in New York City, these streets are crazy. People are dying. There's guns on the streets. So much going on. And when I'm walking the streets, I am on guard. I'm looking around me. I'm looking back. I'm making sure that there's nothing going on around me, right? I think all of us are a little bit on edge these days. If you hear a loud bang or popping in the street, you think to yourself, unfortunately, because of how dangerous things are lately and the increase in crime, was that a gunshot? Is something going on? What is up? And you're on guard. And this is what I'm doing while I'm walking the streets, going to the grocery store or whatever. And this is what I'm teaching my kids to be aware of their surroundings, to be aware of who's around them and not to be so caught up uh, in, uh, in your own, in your headphones or whatever the case is, but to really be paying attention in the streets to be on guard because you never know who or what may sneak up on you. And that's what Jesus is teaching when I, when I read this because Jesus is saying, be on guard because greed will come up behind you and it'll jump you faster than a New York City mugging, right? Like greed is at your door. Greed is around you. If you're not careful and if you're not on guard, greed will snatch you up. And being on guard means that you're checking your motives. You're checking your motives. It means that you acknowledge that there's sinfulness on, in your heart and that you're not better than anybody else. And that the chances are that if you're not careful, if you're not on guard, greed will snatch you up as well. And it recognizes, to be on guard means you recognize that whenever you make a, 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 an erroneous choice, whenever you go the wrong direction, you course correct as necessary. You repent of that greed. You repent of your wrong decisions and you turn back to God. You know, even Aladdin, who had a great heart seemingly, had promised to make genie a, a third wish. And the third wish would be to set the genie free. But come across the right circumstances, he had to change a heart initially. Why? Because the heart is deceitful and we need to be on guard. Here's another thing the Bible teaches us. Number two is that we should make a spiritual investment. Make a spiritual investment. In the passage that we're about to read, Jesus is teaching about practical and spiritual things. You know, for example, he teaches uh, people how to pray. And you guys know uh, that famous passage, the Lord's Prayer, right? He's, he's teaching them, hey, when you pray, this is how you should pray. You should say these words. He's teaching uh, folks how to fast. And he says, you know, when you're fasting, when you're giving up food to seek God and to draw closer to God, he says, don't uh, put on a show, wash your face, right? Don't let others know that you're fasting because this is between you and God. He's teaching these important lessons. He even teaches people how to bring their offerings to the Lord and, and how to be charitable and how to serve others and how to give. And he even addresses in this passage uh, our emotional well-being, about being anxious and about worrying and about anxiety. He talks about all this stuff, spiritual and very practical. And among that 
In this passage, he compares a spiritual investment to earthly savings. He says that an, a spiritual investment is better than earthly savings. He says it's much better. You know, earthly savings is where so many of us find ourselves in this day and age. is where we're desiring more. It's where we're obtaining more. It's where we want to save more and gather more. And in fact, even if you're not doing any of those things, saving, uh, you know, because the money's not coming in, is the desire for it. It's the stressing and the slaving after the desire to get more. But Jesus is going to say that, you know what's better than that? You know what's better than wealth? You know what's more than stressing about where the next dollar is going to come? Is it making a spiritual investment? Jesus says that that's better. So let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Here's what Jesus says. He says, Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. In other words, what Jesus is saying, you know, don't continue to slave over trying to desire to get more and more and more, break your back and stress out and be anxious over trying to get more and more and more because at the end of the day, that stuff doesn't last forever. Right? You fill up your closets with more clothing where moth comes and destroys, where dust you know, eventually destroys, right? He's talking about these things that are temporary. They don't last forever. Verse 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. In other words, if you store up treasures in heaven on things, if you make a heavenly investment or spiritual investment, man, rust and moths and dust, and it, that stuff cannot be stolen. It has eternal value. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if you like to take notes in your Bible and you like to underline and highlight, I would underline that part in your verse where it says, there, uh, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where are you storing up your treasures? Where are you storing up your treasures? Where are you making your investment? Where you are investing is a good indicator of where your heart is. That's what Jesus is saying. Wherever you're investing all your time and your energy and your resources, that is where your heart is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So maybe a better question that I can ask you today is, where is your heart? Where is your heart? And what I'm inviting you and myself to do this morning is to examine our hearts, is to really look inward and to ask, to ask and to beg of God to show us where are we investing? Where are we investing? Because maybe you're asking yourself today is how do I make a spiritual investment? What does that look like? Well, you know, we talk about this every single week because it's so important that we're making heavenly investments. But among that, you know, one of the best investments that you can make is sharing Jesus with others. It's not selfishly keeping the good news of the gospel and sharing the hope that you have in Christ to yourself, but sharing with that with others. That's one of the biggest spiritual investments that you can make. Letting others know about Jesus, sharing your personal testimony and your story of God's goodness and grace in your life with those that are around you. That's one of the most important ways that you can have a spiritual investment. You can make a spiritual investment by getting together with God's people. This is exactly what we've been trying to do as a church for the past few months. Trying to find opportunities for us to gather, to get together. Whether that is going to the park at a meetup or whether that is, you know, our first in-person worship gathering that we just had this Sunday. 
Uh, you know, these are spiritual investments. And so often we look and make investments towards other things, to our own personal enjoyment. And the things that God desires, these spiritual investments, we neglect. And we, we, we put it to the side. And we would never say no to anything recreational or fun. But when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to spiritual investments, guess what? That can take the back seat. Are you making a spiritual investment? Because when we get together with God's people, there is encouragement. There is shared hope. There is prayer. There are hugs. There's tears. There's conversation. There's these things, these spiritual investments that we can get from getting together with God's people. Another spiritual investment is serving your neighbors, is serving the people, showing and sharing God's love in practical ways. Why is this such an important spiritual investment? Well, because this is what Jesus did. Jesus went around not only sharing the good news, not only sharing the good news of the kingdom of God that was at hand and the sacrifice that he would make uh, for us, but he also just went around loving and serving the community, the respective communities that he walked around. And not everybody put their faith in him. Not everybody followed him, but he went around and he healed many. So we mimic Jesus. We follow Jesus. And one of the greatest spiritual investments you can make is showing and sharing God's love, showing God's love in practical ways, serving your neighbors. So where's your heart? Honestly, where is it? Where is your heart? For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Make a commitment to making a spiritual investment. And here's number three in your notes. Number three is this. We must go from spenders to stewards. We must go from spenders to stewards. Now listen, what I don't want you to hear from me is that money and wealth and status is a bad thing. It's not inherently a bad or even a sinful thing. I think the challenge comes in how we view or how we treasure our money and our resources or the lack of it. And a big mind shift comes when we see the money that we have as something that you've earned to viewing it as God's gift for you to steward. That's a way different way of looking at money and resources and wealth. Instead of looking at it like, man, look at all the wealth that I've obtained. Look at all the money that I have that I worked hard for and realize that it is a gift from God for you to steward. You know, a steward is someone who manages the properties of someone else. And having that view of money will drastically and dramatically change not only how you think about money, but how you behave regarding finances. And this is a huge mind shift that as followers of Christ, we all need to make. A steward sees the blessings that we have as gifts from God for us to manage for His glory and not our own. Is that your view of money? If what we have are gifts, then from a heart of gratitude, we see our job as wanting to be a steward of those gifts as well. And look at what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17-19. through 19. These are words that Paul penned to a young minister, Timothy. And he said this, Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant, or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, which is where so many of us find ourselves, right? We, we are putting our hope in something that is uncertain, which is why so many people's worlds was rocked when in the middle of a pandemic, 
you know, we have one of the worst economic downturns in all of history because so many people have put their hope in the uncertainty of wealth. Well, so if we don't put our hope in the uncertainty of wealth, where do we put it on? But on God is what Paul says in verse 17. Put your hope on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. He's echoing what Jesus' brother would say later on, that every good and perfect gift comes from God. You see, Paul says, He richly provides us with all things to enjoy. God gives us gifts. God is an excellent gift giver. And so he says, instruct them to do what is good. To be rich in 401ks, in savings, in cash that's not what the Bible says. It says to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. And unfortunately, too many people don't really know what life is and cannot truly enjoy life until they found Jesus and see the money, the wealth, the resources that we have as gifts from God for us to steward for the glory of God. Do these words in this passage describe your view? Or better yet, do your actions in regards to finances, do these words describe the way you view, the way you manage, the way you spend your finances, the way you save, the way you obtain, or what you view about money? Does this describe your perspective? It says to be rich in good works, to be generous, to be willing to share. And the funny thing is that so often the exact opposite of this is how we view finances and money. Not about how to share, but how, to, how we can obtain more and keep. Not about being generous, but about being stingy. Right? This is, this is the way we tend to react or the, the way we tend to treat our finances. And in fact, this is where the biblical principle of the tithe comes into play. Now, admittedly, I don't talk very much about this uh, in church just because so many people have a bad perception of money and finances and specifically when it comes to this. But the tithe is a biblical principle that we see in Scripture, in the Old Testament, in practice in the Old Testament and reinforced by Jesus' teaching in the New Testament. That's what the, this is what the, principle, what the principle is. Tithing is a biblical principle where you return 10% of God's gift to you back onto His service. Just 10%. It's realizing that 100% of what you have is a gift from God. And all God asks for is 10% in return. That's what it is. It's a principle that is practiced in the Old Testament and reinforced by Jesus' teaching in the New Testament. And what it is, it's a springing board for generosity. And by doing this, we acknowledge that everything that we have comes from God. And we trust Him to continue to provide. And we believe that God will be able to do more with 90% than we could ever do with the 100%. It's believing and acknowledging that the 10% that we give, God can do infinitely more with that to serve and to bless and to advance the kingdom of God than we ever could on our own. Remember, Jesus said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And when we return the tithe, we say that we trust God and we invest 
where it truly matters. And we trust Him and we know that He can do a lot more than what we could with 100%. So the question is, are you a spender or are you a steward? Every good and perfect gift comes from God. And God expects us to be stewards of His gifts, to have a great kingdom impact on this earth and an investment in eternity. What is your view? Where are you when it comes to this? Now, I want to talk about the greatest reason that we have. The greatest reason that we have this side of heaven to be generous and to be good gift givers and to be appreciative of the gifts that we do have. And that is because as Christians, we have been shown an extreme amount of generosity by God through Jesus. In fact, one of the most popular Bible verses, you probably have it on a coffee mug at home or on a t-shirt. Pretty sure you might even have it memorized. It's a very popular verse that clearly states this, that shows us how generous of a gift giver God is. Would you guys read it along with me? John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. God so loved the world that He what? What's that word, church? That He gave. He gave. Our God is a generous God. And God's generosity towards us is perfectly embodied in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And what's interesting is that God did not hold anything back. You see, guys, God did not give 10% of Himself for us, for the forgiveness of our sin, for the atonement of our sin, so that we can have the promised eternity with Him in heaven. God didn't give 10%. God gave Himself all. God gave it all. God entered His creation in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus lived the perfect and sinless life, the life that you and I were incapable of living. And then Jesus died on the cross, the, the perfect uh, repayment for our sin, for your sin, for my sin. He gave it all on the cross. He died in our place so that we might experience the forgiveness of sin. And then Jesus conquered the grave. He rose on the third day and He ascended into heaven so that we can have the promise of, a, of an abundant life now because in His life, our lives are made new. And we have the promise of not only an eternity with our Heavenly Father away from pain and tears and sickness, but also an abundant life right now. A life that is worth living right now, a life that is able to invest, a life that is able to be generous because God generously gave us everything in Jesus Christ. And all we need to do in order to experience forgiveness of sin and new life is to put our faith in Jesus. What a return. What an ask just to put your faith in Jesus. And God promises to give us forgiveness of sin and new life if you put your faith in Him. And the number one reason we can be generous is because we serve a generous God. So what is your view? What is your view? Are you making a spiritual investment? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. God, I just pray that you would help us to be on guard because we acknowledge and we know what your scriptures say is true and that is that our hearts are deceitful. Lord, I pray that 
that we might be spiritual investors, that we might share Jesus with others, that we may serve others selflessly, that we may give generously, God. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see ourselves as stewards of gifts because you are a generous and good gift giver. Lord, help us to see us ourselves as stewards and managers of those gifts to love and serve others. And God, we thank you for the greatest and most generous gift of all, Jesus Christ. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.